But yes, let's go to Anna Rankin now. Hi, Anna. Hey, Jesse. How are you? Good. We were just talking about that, um, the Surrey Hotel residency before two o'clock and your name came up. Do you still remember? You got a few nights there, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I think that was 2021. No, I can't remember when it was, but yeah. it was good. But a useful chance to um, shut the world off and uh, focus on whatever you were working on at the time. Yeah, yeah, I had a really good time there. Um, I didn't. I don't know who's won, so I'll have to check that out once I get off the phone. Emma Ling Sydenham. Don't know if you've come across her oh. before. She was featured in Paula Morris's book of uh, New Asian Voices, and also has been published on Newsroom. Sounds like she's uh, got a cracking talent, and several others as well. Yeah, so it's an exciting time each year. Um, oh, cool. You've been reading a new New Zealand book, and I see that. Uh, Kim Hill spoke to the author of this book a few weeks ago here on RNZ, a couple of weeks ago. His name is Jared Davidson, and his book is called Blood and Dirt. Oh, oh can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, just cut out for a sec. Yeah, um, so tell me a bit about this book. Yeah, so um, this is a recent release, and he has had quite a lot of publicity um, because it is a really good book and probably really well overdue. So Jared Davidson um, is an archivist and author, and I think he's maybe written about three books prior, and his scholarly work focuses on overlooked histories in New Zealand, particularly stories that are more marginalized, and mm-hmm. this book is no different from those prior texts. So um, the title, Blood and Dirt, takes its, name from Marx, who um, quite famously wrote that capital comes dripping from head to foot from every pore with blood and dirt. Hmm. So that gives people a cue into the fact that he's applying a Marxist um, lens to an analysis of the history of prison labor, not prisons themselves, but the labor um, over seven pages and about 230 pages, sorry, seven chapters and 230 pages. And... In this book, he recounts, um, I guess, what we could say are pretty, well, quite little-known histories of forced labor and its fruits. And it's really remarkable how forced and what he calls unfree labor touched, I mean, an enormous number of attractions, buildings, roads, pretty much the entire built landscape, it seems, when you're reading it, was uh, constructed by labor. Um, sorry, you cut out there. That's prison labour, and and you're talking about New Zealand, which um, I think a lot of people listening may not have considered that sort of unseen work of prisoners and building our infrastructure. This is what sort of era are we talking about? Um, so he begins. It's really comprehensive. So he begins um, in around 1814 with the docking of a ship in the Bay of Islands. And then it proceeds through the 19th and 20th centuries. But that initial story that he opens with is um, a story of Marsden who arrives with some convicts and they construct over some time a mission station. And it's no longer there today. It's now a historic um, grassy reserve, which I think was a really good metaphor that he opens with because um, what he's talking about in the book are these invisibilized histories that in fact surround us entirely. And so from that initial story, he travels through, yeah, as I said, the 19th and 20th centuries and talks about um, the construction of 
you know, the Milford Sound, forest plantations, parliament buildings, as I said, so, like numerous roads um, were all completed by prison labor. And he also notes that there are some reasons, I mean, there are several reasons as to why the, these histories aren't really talked about. And one of them, he says, is this idea of New Zealand exceptionalism. And the narrative goes, and I feel like we all learned this at school, is that all of those men who were imprisoned were sent to Australia. Yeah. Um, so we, it doesn't really form a large part of our history. I don't. Maybe that's changed at school, um, but when I was growing up, it wasn't that prominent. No, no, me neither. Um, I mean, it must have been um, pretty painstaking work to research this book, seeing not much has been written about it, and we're talking about sort of 140, 150 years ago, so it must have been pretty hard for him to work out I guess to turn the what data he could find and turn it into a story. Yeah, I, went, I slipped through the bibliography and it is so comprehensive. Like the scholarly research that this book represents is really daunting. Yeah. And as I said, it is it is very comprehensive um, and so well argued and so well researched. And I think it will really change the way people look at the built landscape around them. Um, what is the writing like? Uh, he's a beautiful writer. Um, he weaves in personal stories and accounts, again, really well-researched well personal stories of, um, I guess, archival research he was able to find into more um, rigorous historical analysis. But he can also write in a really imagistic and literary way. So it is a really enjoyable read. It isn't um, necessarily a kind of purely scholarly book. I mean, it is, but it also has these literary moments within it, which makes it really pleasurable to read. Yeah, it's a Bridget Williams book, um, which is always a pretty good sign of quality here in New Zealand. Mm. Have you finished it? Um, almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. He does. He does really. He has a really nice close that I did read, where he talks about. Um, he talks about it being a heavy inheritance. Um, he describes going to visit a site and he's reflecting on, I guess, his childhood and the places that he says he's taken for granted. And I thought that was really well said. And it's a similar book that was published by BWB, Shifting Grounds, made me feel the same way. That was about histories of um, Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. And I feel like I can't look at the city in the same way having mm. read that book. And I think this will be the same. Is there much discussion of the kind of moral implications of using prisoners of the state to as basically forced labor unfree labor as he calls it yeah um there is he is um obviously quite critical of that and he he does kind of in between his stories he does signpost to his philosophical and i guess theoretical affiliations and he does this in a really subtle way for example one of the chapters is called improvement and he picks apart this notion of improvement and he actually reveals that um, the English word has no equivalent and um, that improvement is linked to um, economic imperatives it's 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 um, it can't be divorced from this idea that it is a tool used for profit and then he goes through yeah, more moral concepts of idleness. And, you know, when you think about the fact that people 
were arrested for things like drunkenness and vagrancy. And even today, when I see things like signs saying no loitering, it's so uncomfortable because you think, what, you know, am I allowed to stand here? And you think, well, <laughs> some, <laughs> some people are allowed to stand here and others aren't. And it, you know, it throws up a whole um, set of questions to who has right in the public sphere and who doesn't. Um, good stuff. It's called Blood and Dirt, Prison Labour and the Making of New Zealand by Jared Davidson. How's your own writing going, Anna? I've seen your name pop up in The Guardian recently. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, yep, I've got um, quite a lot on at the moment, so that's that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's always yeah. good news for a writer here in New Zealand to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Good stuff. Nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. And a rank and talking books in our weekly books slot just after the 2 p.m. news.